The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Please take your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5. And I do invite you to take the time to actually take your Bibles there. It'll be vital. We have a numerous number of scriptures that I'll be reading through. And, uh, and I'll be reading in the New King's, James, New King's James Version. I always have trouble saying that. I always say New King's James. Abby told me that last week that I, I can't even say that properly. But, uh, but that's the translation that I'll be reading out of. And I will be going through the scriptures rather quickly. So if it helps you. Have something to be able to write the references down that you can refer to later, if that's helpful to you. But I do hope that you have a Bible in front of you at Revelation chapter 5. If you're new to God's Word, Revelation is near the very end of your Bible. So through this series that we are in currently, titled, The End Times in Our Time, uh, we have referenced the Bible as a blueprint in the same way that a blueprint would be present on a construction site showing you what was to come, how the building process would go. We have a blueprint in God's Word pertaining to the things that are not yet, the future that we are moving into. And we've seen that there's a process to go through. When a construction worker looks at a blueprint, they realize that uh, one piece must come before the before the next, there is site work that must be done. There's excavation that must take place. There's a foundation to lay. There's walls to build. There's a roof to set. All of those different processes to go through. And we see the same thing true in God's Word. Uh, there was a Christ that would come on earth that first Christmas. There was the ministry that He would have. There was His life, His death, His burial, His resurrection. There's these different processes that we go through and we realize today that we're still in the middle of this process of time. We're just in the middle of it. We're not, this is not an old book. This is not an old idea. This is still in the middle of a thing. A blueprint gives you a picture of what's to come. It's not a perfect picture. It gives you dimensions. gives you some details that you know are absolutely true. Uh, but it may may look a little bit different in front of your actual eyes, things that you didn't expect when you see the blueprint, but it gives you some ideas. And we see the same thing true in God's Word. There's some things that we know to be true. Things that are absolutely things that we can hang our hat on. And things that may look a little bit different than we expected. Things that are difficult to interpret as we go through time, but we know that there's a picture of what will come. There are also pieces that are different. The excavation work is different than laying of the foundation. The foundation is different than the building of the walls. The building of the walls is different than setting the roof. And so it is true for the time, the redemptive history time period in which we're in. The time of Christ, of His earthly ministry, was different than it is today. Uh, his time in the tomb was different than it is today. His time resurrected is different than it is today. The church age which we're in is different than the time in which we'll be going. One of these pieces that's different than the age that we are in now, a different piece to this blueprint, is the Great Tribulation. 
And a very common question pertaining to eschatology, which we know is the study of end time events, a very common question with eschatology is when will the great tribulation occur? In this process of redemptive history that you and I are in, when will it occur? Uh, you'll hear people talk about things like post-trib and pre-trib. And, and, and I know that perhaps even many of us have differing views of this biblical interpretations of when exactly the tribulation will come. I have personally, just to be totally transparent, I have become of the belief very strongly, having studied the Bible like I have never studied it before, that, that this church, the church age in which we're in, if, if the end of time as we know it, these things that we're studying, if this blueprint were to be true of our age today, I believe that, that you and I will be raptured off of this earth before this great tribulation comes. There's many reasons for this, but namely because Jesus says that, that we were made for salvation, not for wrath that He would keep the church from this hour of trial that would come upon the earth to test the earth. So that's how I came to that conclusion. But I recognize that, that many of you may feel differently, and, and that, is, that is completely fine. One of the presuppositions that we said before going into the series was that some of those intricacies of order of things don't necessarily matter when it pertains to the command that the believer has from the Lord Jesus Christ. So I see this as happening, this great tribulation period, after the rapture of the church, but before the millennial reign of Christ and the great white throne judgment, which are pieces that we still have yet to cover in this series. So let us first answer the question, church. Why will there be a great tribulation? Why is there coming this time period in which things will be so terrible, more terrible than it has ever been on the face of the earth, and why teach about it? I'd like to give you two reasons. First, it's because God is patient and loving. God is patient and loving. Second Peter 3, verses 9-11, through 11, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why did it take Noah so long to build the ark? I think that just perhaps the reason that it took him so long is because all of these people that were mocking and jeering against Noah and his family and the things that they were doing upon the command of God, that God was long-suffering towards them. He was not slack concerning His promises. He was not willing that any of them should perish, but that they should come to repentance. That He was giving them this great opportunity this long opportunity. He was long-suffering towards them. And He was loving towards them in that way. And I believe that the same thing will be true of the Great Tribulation. And we know that to be true because we know that many people will be saved through the Great Tribulation period. And if the Tribulation, I guess this answers the question of, of why preach about it, Pastor Ben? Why, why are we taking a whole day to, to focus on this terrible time? It's because if it's true, which I believe it is, because the Bible says that many will be saved in the Great Tribulation, and if that time period were to be in the lifetime of people that are here right now today, what I know is that, that there might be people here today, this very day, whose attention will not be gotten by my words. The preacher will have not gotten their attention. But something, a tragedy, a great tribulation will get their attention. 
So that's why I'm preaching about this today is because there very likely could be some people here today if this all happens in our lifetime. I'd like to think that every single person who calls New Covenant Community Church their home is a believer that will be raptured off this earth. I'd like to believe those things. But the reality is, is if this time period does occur in our lifetime, you have not been God working from this pulpit through His Word will have not gotten your attention, but a great tribulation will. And God is patient and loving and He will bring you unto Himself through this horrible, horrible time. The second reason of why there's a tribulation and why teach about it is because God is a righteous judge. Psalm 33, verse 5, it says, He loves righteousness and justice. Everyone say the word justice with me. Ready, set, go. Justice. God is a lover of justice. I've had people ask me before, why is it, Pastor Ben, that you talk down to the social justice issues? And it's not that I talk down to them. It's, I don't see there being anything so-called as social justice. There's only justice. And God is a lover of that justice. He is a just-filled judge. In the great tribulation, every non-repentant abortionist and everyone who condones the heinous crime will be judged. The judgment of God will be poured out. The wrath of God will be poured out upon that person. Every non-repentant extortioner of sexuality from the LGBTQ to the fornicator to the adulterer and etc. and etc. on and on the list goes. The non-repentant person will have God's wrath poured upon them because God is a just judge. He is filled with justice. He loves justice and rightness. Every non-repentant alcoholic and drug user who's proud of their addiction, who loves to make themselves drunk and is not going to do what God says, God's judgment will be poured out upon that person. The person who has made little of God's name, all of the non-repentance, God will pour out His judgment, at least in part in the great tribulation. Isaiah 5 verse 20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who willfully get it backwards. Woe to those who say that the life that God has made in the womb is not life, but it's just a clump of cells. Woe to that person who has got it backwards willfully. Woe to the person who says, I'm going to drink my alcohol and make myself drunk and use these drugs. Woe to that person who has got it backwards that says that that's okay and that's right. It's not. God is a just God. He is a just, loving God. Woe to that person who says to God, I don't care about what you say. I'm going to do what I want. In the great tribulation, justice, pure, unmitigated, perfect justice will be poured out upon those who have chosen not to love the truth and choose to believe a lie. So, why a tribulation? Because God is patient and loving and because He is a righteous, just God. Now the Bible gives us much detail about this great tribulation part of this, this future prophetic blueprint that we've been studying. Gives us much detail. Other aspects of this thing that we're walking into, not so clear. But this piece of the puzzle, this piece of the blueprint is very clear in Scripture. Daniel 12 and verse 1, it says, And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. Matthew 24, verse 21, it says, For then there will be a great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. 
regarding this great tribulation, no scientist will be able to explain its severity. No professor will be able to teach of its expansiveness. No archaeologist will have anything to compare it to. No meteorologist will be able to foretell its coming. No politician will have any answer for it. No doctor will have a cure. No person could possibly describe this terror. And no pastor could possibly preach in such a way that accurately describes the horror of a perfectly just God pouring out judgment on a world that has willfully made itself drunk on injustice. But with the Holy Spirit's help, I'm going to do my, my absolute best to, to preach God's Word. Uh, this part is given in such detail. Because Scripture gives it in such detail, I plan to preach it in detail, which is why for those of you parents with kids uh, here with us today, we, we, I give you the invitation now to, to be the disciple makers of your children that God has ordained you to be. And, and if there's anything that's too graphic, too gruesome, or in too much detail, then, then you will not offend me to remove them now or to remove them at any point that you feel anything could be disturbing to them. We entrust you, as God has, to be the disciple makers of your children. So before we really get into it, our Bible should already be to Revelation 5. Uh, let us simply pray. Father, these are sobering pieces of the blueprint. And God, I just I pray that my heart would never, would never extort your word in such a way that does not give a clear depiction of, of what you have clearly said. God, let, whether it's me or another man that you have called from this pulpit, when this church, at the end of time, God, let this church be marked by a pulpit that preached unmitigated words that were absolute truth. Regardless of how difficult it can be and how it feels, Father, we love you and we trust you, God, even in the things that we don't understand. We've seen and tasted that you're good. And therefore, we trust your judgments and all of your dealings. In Jesus' name, and all the church says together, amen. Have your Bibles handy, church. We will be going through these things. The Great Tribulation is broken up into three categories. Each category has seven phases. The first category are the seal judgments. If you think of a scroll rolled up and there are seven separate seals that are broken and opened only by Jesus, there are seven seals in the seal category. The second category are the trumpet judgments. This second category are trumpets, trumpet blasts, Sounded by angels, there are seven of them in the second category. And the third category are the bowl judgments. These are separate bowls, seven separate bowls that angels pour out upon the earth representing seven, di seven different phases of judgment. But we begin first in Revelation 5 for just a very important note about the timing of the Great Tribulation. Revelation 5, verse 1. And it says, And I saw... In the, light, in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. 
Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seals. Now church, if you know your Bibles, you'll know that when it's talking about the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David, it is absolutely talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. So people getting all tizzy about when the tribulation will come, I know exactly when it'll come. Only when Jesus allows it to. <laughs> um, that's the first point that we have today. Only Jesus can authorize the beginning of the great tribulation. So whenever the Lord Jesus causes that first seal to be cracked open, He's the only one worthy ever, anywhere, of all time, ever. He's the only one worthy. He'll be the first one to open it. And only He can, inaugurize, it can, be, can serve as the inauguration of the great tribulation. So whenever Jesus, my Lord and my Savior, chooses for that to happen, that is when it will happen. Now if you would turn to Revelation chapter 6. So we know this begins at him opening of the first seal, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. When he opens it, the tribulation will begin in the first seal that we read in Revelation 6 verse 1. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see! And I looked, and behold, a white horse, he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Last week, if you were with us, you'll know that this conqueror is understood to be the Antichrist. The Lord Jesus Christ has many crowns on his head. This guy only has one. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ has a sword that goes out of his mouth, which is the spirit of the word of God. This guy has a bow. This person is understood to be the Antichrist, and he will be an enemy of God's people. We already studied this last week. We understand that the Antichrist will be a human man that will be an enemy of God's people and will bring about this time in which this first seal that is opened up will bring about this time in which people will not be able to buy or sell anything unless they receive the mark of the beast, the mark of this Antichrist, on their body. And in our world today, we've already seen movements of that towards that type of thing. It's been speculated that perhaps the mark of the beast is some kind of microchip that is still yet to be seen, but we can absolutely see in our world today, and in biblical times this would have made no sense, but in our world today, we understand clearly that it absolutely, in a matter of weeks, could come about such a thing that there, you, it was required that you have some kind of microchip such that allowed you to buy and to sell that was linked to your bank account. We understand this in today's world completely. And the people that do not receive this mark of the beast will be the very first believers that come out of the great tribulation. These are the people that the attention had not been gotten by the preacher or the evangelistic church. But God has gotten their attention with this first seal. And already on this first very minor basic level, this very first intro to the great tribulation, already we see the love of God being poured out as He's drawing these people unto Himself. The second seal. We're in chapter 6. Look to verse 3. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. Uh, we have already begun, church, to see the precursor of this in our world today. Last week we studied in 2 Thessalonians 2 the mystery of lawlessness that is increasing in our world today. When Jesus, however, during the great tribulation period, opens this second seal of removing peace from the earth, there will be a massive slaughter among all of humankind. 
peace will have been removed. It's almost as if Jesus says, you want to murder babies in the womb? You want to kill people? You want to be drunk on all these things that you haven't in abundance? You, you, want to, you want to rebel against the peace that only I can bring? I'll remove the peace that only I can bring. And you can have the reward of your actions. The third seal, chapter 6, we're in verse 5. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a Daenerys, and three quarts of barley for a Daenerys, and do not harm the oil and the wine. And you say, Pastor Ben, what in the world is this talking about? In biblical times... A chionix, which is the Greek word for something, a measurement that describes approximately a quart of what we understand in our world today, was typically the amount of grain that a man needed to live on for a day. And in biblical times, a Daenerys would usually purchase eight to ten of those measurements. And when the great tribulation in this period, there's coming a time in which things will be so in recession, it'll make the Great Depression of the 1930s seem like child's play. What are we paying for gas today? An example would be that perhaps $50 to $100 to buy one gallon of gas. That type of thing, those types of times will come during the Great Tribulation. The fourth seal, looking to verse 7. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed after him. And power was given them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. In the great tribulation, war, starvation, unexplainable death and wild animals attacking humans will kill a quarter of all of humankind. And you say, well, Pastor Ben, we can understand the, the starvation, the war. What, what's this wild animal saying? Well, if you remember back to the second seal, Jesus opens the second seal and peace is removed from the earth. And again, I don't know exactly what that looks like from this blueprint that we're looking at, but what I think perhaps it could look like knowing that peace has been completely removed from the earth. That domesticated animals, ones that are normally peaceful and flighty animals like dogs and cats and horses and cattle and things that we're used to seeing here in Ohio, the peace will have been completely removed such that the, the, the quiet, normally peaceful animal at home will then turn and many people will die from animals having attacked humans because peace has been removed from the earth. And throughout all of this, people are being saved. They ignored the preacher. They ignored the evangelism of the church. But through the tribulation, their attention has been gotten and people are repenting. They're coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. The fifth seal. We're still in chapter 6. Look to verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until You judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them. 
And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were, were completed. In other words, these martyrs, these people that become Christians in the great tribulation will then look to Jesus and say, how much longer will this tribulation period go? And Jesus is going to say, you wear this white robe a little while longer until the rest of those that will be saved will be saved. If you feel the love of God, yes, even in the tribulation, say Amen. He's still loving even in these things. But we know of the tribulation of this fifth seal that there will be persecution against believers like never before. The Bible says that the beast, the Antichrist, will have been given power to make war with the saints. And we have seen the precursors of this even today. This mystery of lawlessness that we know is increasing. And we have seen this in our very prevalent prevalent times of rioting in the streets where that's totally acceptable, but Christians are somehow dangerous for gathering together. We've seen this bogus nonsense in the news for many weeks now, and Christians are, have been deemed as dangerous because they refuse to stop gathering together. And, and we see very clearly that, that absolutely war can be had among, against the saints. And yet, even through this tribulation, God's kindness and protection is shown to those who believe. The sixth seal, we're in verse 12. It says, I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up. And every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth and great men and rich men and commanders and mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of His wrath has come and who is able to stand? In the great tribulation, when Jesus opens the sixth seal, this first category, this first round of judgments, as people are being saved, it's almost as if, if you've ever seen, and I don't want to be too graphic, but if you've ever seen a human or an animal vomit until there's nothing left and then their body is just heaving, the picture that we have here is that creation, that all of nature will be heaving. And people will still not be repenting. There will be people that will be, that will be praying to the rocks to do something about their situation. There will still be idolatry. There will be great fright among the people, yet they still will not humble themselves. Some will, but some will not. The seventh seal. If you're in your Bibles, go to Revelation chapter 8 to verse 1. It says, When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets, telling us of the next round. Then another angel, having a gold censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. And then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. 
So I'm not going to interpret all of that because I don't really know how, but there seemingly church is a connection between the prayers of the saints and God exercising judgment upon the earth. Just perhaps the prayers that we have prayed against babies being aborted, against people being abusive, against children being sold into the sex trafficking industry. Those prayers, there's a connection between those prayers and God exercising those, that kind of judgments. And I believe that if believers are somehow, whether on the earth or in heaven, are somehow able to witness all of these things, it will become sure, if it has not been made sure by then, that God has been a safe refuge that hears our prayers, church. Amen? This next category, the trumpet judgments, God's, God continues to draw people and He continues to exercise His judgment. Revelation 8, verse 7. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. At this point in the tribulation, when that angel sounds that first trumpet, there's going to be a storm, and it's going to rain hail, fire, and blood. Imagine what that will be like for people that will walk out onto their yards and see that all of the grass is gone. A third of the trees will be gone. The second trumpet, verse 8. Then a second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. At this point in this tribulation of God pouring out perfect judgment and God doing something that the people that have ignored the preacher, the people that have ignored the evangelism, their attention is, is being turned. They're either becoming cold or they're becoming warm towards God. Their hearts are softening and, and people are getting saved. But in this time, the people that ignored the sound of the preacher in their ears then will walk outside and the smell of rotting fish and stale blood will cover the entire earth. God will indeed get some attention at that point in time. The third trumpet, verse 10. Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star was Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. So it sounds as though some type of asteroid-type thing will come towards earth split in the second trumpet it was salt water that was affected by this becoming blood in this third trumpet it will be fresh water that will become bitter such that it's not even able to be drank as drinking water because it will be made poisonous in the green river in kentucky it's an actual river you can go to i've paddled in a canoe down it before there's a particular place on the side of the river that it's an inlet that goes in, you paddle back to it, and it's this very large freshwater spring that's just pushing this water up. And the particular day that I was paddling down this river, it was actually very muddy, so the water in the river was very, very muddy. But I got to the point where this spring was, and you paddle back into the woods where this spring is, and all of a sudden it's no longer muddy water because it's pushing this cold, clean, I mean, just the, you could take your canteen, dip it down in the water, and it's the sweetest, coldest, freshest water you've ever tasted in your entire life. It's kind of amazing. Very, very cold. Very, very clean. Tastes perfect. 
I imagine that if someone were to be in that exact spot that I was a few summers ago, that even that freshwater spring that pushes up this wonderful water will be made completely toxic such that it will kill people. And we know that at this point, this third trumpet, that many people will die because of the water. The fourth trumpet, verse 12. Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened, a third of that day did not shine, and likewise the night. And I looked, and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. The idea of the sun rising in the morning and setting in the evening will be a thing of the past in the Great Tribulation. There will likely be days at 11 a.m. when it will still be pitch black. And this angel makes this proclamation of the particular horrors that are coming. In other words, people will know in that time that, that God is getting their, their, their attention. God is saving people. People are turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's, there's ample warning that things are getting worse. As we know in our culture today, that things are progressively getting worse. And people will know the same thing during the Great Tribulation. They will know what is to come in these last three trumpets of this trumpet category. The fifth trumpet chapter 9 now in verse 1 it says then the fifth angel sounded and i saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth to him was given the key to the bottomless pit this church is understood to be the devil whom this key is given to and he the devil opened the bottomless pit and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace so the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth These are understood to be demons. Again, not a perfectly clear depiction of what we're to understand here, but the understanding of the thought is that these would be demons. Continuing on, And to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded, listen to this church, not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death, will not find it, and will desire to die, and death will flee from them. So picture this here, that demons would be released on the earth again. Not a perfectly clear picture of what we understand, but the interpretation is that the devil will somehow be able to release an increase, a great increase of wickedness, The believers will not be hindered by them. The non-believers will be. It will become so evident, so incredibly clear that there are God's children and that there are not. It will become so, it will be a display of God's mercy, of, of drawing people unto Himself. This torment will be so severe that people will try and commit suicide, but they will be unsuccessful. There's been many interpretations of why this will be true. But seeing the nature of God work out through this pattern, I very much believe it will because there will be people who are yet not saved but will become. They will, they will seek to die. But God will say, not yet. These few will still come. God's mercy and grace is still known. Yes, even at this very intense moment of the great tribulation. The sixth trumpet. We're in chapter 9, verse 13. 
It says, Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard the voice of the four horns of the golden altar which is before God, saying to the sixth angels who had the trumpet, the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyssinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like heads of lions. And out of their mouths came fire and smoke and brimstone. And by these three plagues, the third, by these three plagues, the third of all mankind was killed by the fire of the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails were like serpents, having heads, and with them they do harm. So there's much imagery here that's very, very unclear to me. But what is clear is that a third of humankind at this point, what's left, will be killed through this great tribulation time. The people that have ignored the preacher, but there will be some who will hear the judgments of God and some will turn. Verse 20, But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold and silver, brass and stone and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murderers, and their sorceries, and their sexual immorality, or their thefts. So even though this great tribulation is now getting down to the very wire, it's become so clear. These people have seen this in this tribulation period. People have seen those who have trusted Christ. The martyrs who have lost their lives because of their faith. The people have even admitted, the, 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 the wicked people have even admitted that this is God's judgment. This is the judgment of the Lamb upon humankind because of our wickedness, and yet they still don't turn. They have seen this one particular judgment where demons were let loose on the earth, and the believers were not tormented by them, but the unbelievers were. There will still be those who choose to worship the false, dead, dumb idols. They've seen the mercy of God. It's become so clear. Yet there will still be some who do not believe. They've chosen to believe a lie. And they will not be saved. They fulfill what Jesus said in John 3, verse 19. It says, And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. So the last trumpet in this category, the seventh trumpet, it's in Revelation 11, verses 15 through 19, and it sounds as though that those who will believe out of the tribulation have believed and then died and are with Jesus. Again, there may be intricacies and details of this that I'm not seeing perfectly, but if, as best I can tell from hours of study, it seems as though the group that will be saved out of the tribulation have, have been saved at this point and are with Jesus, and that the only ones left are those who will never love the truth, but they willfully love darkness. They are, they are willful haters of God. And, and here's why I believe that this has happened. There's a bookmark event in chapter 14 of Revelation, which I invite you to turn to. Look to the 14th verse, and in your Bibles, if it has headings of the sections, this section is titled, Reaping the Earth's Harvest. In verse 14 of chapter 14, it says, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, 
And on the cloud sat one, capital O-N-E, sat one like the Son of Man, and having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud and it said, Thrust in your sickle and reap. For the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. I believe that this represents the believers that would turn to Jesus that have done so. And it's Jesus himself that that is collecting them. This is the picture, this is the image of Jesus collecting those that through the tribulation will believe him and trust him and turn from their sin. And on the other hand, verse 17 of that chapter 14 we have the other group that it still references that are on the earth. Verse 17, Then the, another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, who had power over fire, and cried out with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city, the blood out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs. So at this point, I believe that the separation of believers and unbelievers is complete. That that, That Jesus has thrust his sickle into the earth, the believers have been collected, and the others, this, these grapes that are tossed into the wine press of the fierceness and wrath of God have also been collected. And isn't it interesting that an angel can align the wicked for their judgment, but only Jesus can bring those who will be saved out of the earth. If you believe that, say amen. Another point, an overarching point that you can write down if you will. Only Jesus can use the great tribulation both for saving and for judgment, only Jesus can use the great tribulation. Only He can begin it. Only He can use it. Both for saving and for judgment. For, for the reaping that is, is coming out of the earth, the saved and the unsaved. Only Jesus can oversee this. So at this point, as best I can tell, what's left on the earth is the rapist who's proud of their crime. The homosexual who's proud of their ways. The fornicator who hates God's design. The thief who loves what they have stolen. The abortionist who's proud of their work. The idolater who loves his idols. The adulterer who loves his adultery. The liar who loves the lives. The proud who loves the pride. These are the people who you could spend, they could spend 10,000 years in hell. And they'll still be cursing God. They'll still be gnashing their teeth and snarling against God and cursing His name, cursing what He does, cursing what He's commanded the world to do. All that's left is, is, is the enemy of God, I believe. Now, Revelation chapter 16, for this very last category of judgments, the bold judgments, they come fast, furious, and very quickly. Verse 1 says, Then I heard... A loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. Verse 2, So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and foul and loathsome sores came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who had worshipped his image. At this point in the tribulation, every single person will have some kind of sore 
covering their body, that the medical community, if there's even a medical community left at that point in time, they've never seen anything like this. Verse 3, Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man. And every, every living creature in the sea died. There will be no beaches left. It will simply be heaps upon heaps, miles and miles worth of dead creatures out of the sea that have died. Verse 4, Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, You are righteous, O God, the one who is and the one who was and the one who is to be, because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. For this is their just due. And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. So those who have murdered babies for years, those who have shed innocent blood of Christians, those who have, those who have willfully done those things, they'll walk up to their sink and their home and they'll turn it on and nothing but blood will come out. It's almost as if Jesus says, you, you want to shed blood? You want to commit these crimes against what I've commanded? You, you want to willfully rebel and harm the children of God? Have blood to the full. The fourth bowl, verse 8. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the earth and the power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues and they did not repent or give Him glory. You get a picture of these kinds of people. The fifth bowl, verse 10. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom became full of darkness and they gnawed their tongues because of their pain and they blasphemed the God of heaven because their pains and their sores, and they did not repent from their deeds. So even the, the kingdom of the world run by the Antichrist and his false prophet, there's darkness, yes, even in that. And the pain will be such that they will gnaw their tongues, yet they will still curse and blaspheme God. The sixth bowl, verse 12. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up, so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, which we know is the devil, out of the mouth of the beast, which we know is the Antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, which is the Antichrist, protege, Holy Spirit kind of guy. Verse 14, so, so they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and to the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. So two things we see happening here. The first is that the Euphrates River is dried up, which we know that that river today is the longest river in the Middle East. We dried up. The second thing that will happen is that something like a frog out of the mouth, something repulsive in the same way that you and I would think it would be repulsive to have a frog in our mouth, Something repulsive comes out of the mouth of the devil, out of the mouth of the Antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. And we don't know exactly what that thing will be, but it sounds as though it's going to be something repulsive, something blaspheming against God that will gather the kings of the earth, of the whole world, the Bible says, to gather them together for battle against God, against Jesus. There's a call to these kings of the earth against Christ. And the Bible tells us that this will be at a place called Armageddon. And currently, in modern day world, this would be known as the Mount of Megiddo. 
and this is a real place. It's 56 miles away from Jerusalem. That's, that's is where this is understood. This battle is understood to take place. And we've now come to the last bold judgment, verse 17. It says, Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done! And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since man were on, men were on the earth. Now the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of His wrath. Then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. So in this last bold judgment, the earth will be shaken like it has never been shaken before. And hailstones the size of a talent, in case you're wondering, this is somewhere north of about 70 pounds will fall to the earth. Verse 21, part B. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. So the Antichrist, the false prophet, and many if not most people that on the earth that hate God, they will be on their way to the battlefield church. They'll be marching their way there. And they'll still be blaspheming God. The, the same preaching that, that drew some to Christ and others away. The same tribulation that drew some to Christ and others away. The same tribulation continues on. But this group that drives away, it, it continues to do such until they're, they're walking into their doom, still cursing God, who the Bible says has power over these plagues. Still cursing God. And we know what the picture of this battle looks like. We read it last week in Revelation 19. We know that Christ will return with all of the saints. He's going to have a name that only He knows Himself. The Bible says that you and I will return. He'll be on a white horse. You and I will be on white horses clothed in fine white linen. Out of His mouth will come the sharp sword, which is the Word of God. Many crowns will be on His head. And take note that of that picture that we have of us returning with Christ, the only one with the weapon, the only one in battle array is Jesus Himself. The last thing that anyone would ever wear into battle would be clean, fine white linen, which is what all of us are going to be wearing. And we know from what the Bible tells us, Revelation 19, verse 21, that Jesus will be the one Himself that fights this battle for us. We will not be coming back to again fight evil, to again fight sin, all the things that we're struggling with in our personal walk with Jesus and all the things that we work through right now. We're not coming back to fight those things again. Jesus will fight those things Himself. In verse 21 it says, and the rest of all these people that were blaspheming God, marching their way to this Mount Migadu Armageddon place, cursing God, and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds of the air were filled with their flesh. So we have seen, church, that first, only Jesus can authorize the beginning of the Great Tribulation. We've seen, second, that only Jesus can use the Great Tribulation, both for judgment and for saving. That all these people that, that have not listened to the preacher, that have not listened to the evangel, evangelistic church, all those people who did not listen, Jesus still is saying, I'm, I must bring them something that will get them to listen, that will cause them to repent and to turn. So I see the love of God in this church. And I hope you do too. 
The third thing that we have seen also in our last point today is that only Jesus is victorious through the Great Tribulation. If you believe that, say amen. Church, when you and I and Brianna, you can come now. When that battle takes place and you and I have returned with Christ for this reign of of Jesus to rule and to reign with a rod of iron on the earth to make every crooked place straight again. And we return with Him and you and I are on white horses on this huge battle line of all the saints and and you see our leader, you see our king, or you see our salvation himself on his white horse, and he fights the battle. I mean, you're, you and I are just lining up there on our perfectly white linen clothing and our perfectly unstained clothes, and our Savior fights this battle for us. We see the wickedness, we see the things that have caused us tears. We see the, on the opposing battlefront, we see this sin. We see this blasphemy against God. We see all the things that we're struggling in our culture today. We see the sin that we have personally struggled with in our own lives. And you see Jesus give it the final death blow. For His reign on earth, the death blow that He brings it. He'll be the only one dressed in battle. or He's wearing a robe dipped in blood and He's got a sword that comes out of His mouth, which is His Word. And when that moment happens, when you and I are sitting there on our horses and we're sitting there on the battle line and we watch Jesus just level the enemy with His Word that comes out of His mouth, we're going to look at each other and we're going to look at Jesus and we're going to say, He's our salvation. He is our protector. He, He is our everything. Look at what Jesus has just done for us. Look at us all still here, still in white, clean clothes, n- never even partaking of the battle. But And here come all these kings of the earth to battle against Jesus. And He levels them with His Word. So be not dismayed, child of God, as you see the mystery of lawlessness increasing in our world today. Why? Because those wicked things, the things that grieve our hearts, Jesus will level with His Word. Amen? So what am I calling you to this morning? I'm calling you to ride with me. I'm calling you to ride in the Lord's army. And you think that sounds cheesy? I don't care. It's what the God's Word says is going to happen. This is the part of the blueprint that's really clear. Which army are you going to be riding in on that day? I'm going to be riding in the Lord's army. And I'm calling you, I'm calling this church to be riding, to be riding in the Lord's army. And when you ride somewhere, you're not stagnant. You're going somewhere. In the Lord's army on this earth, you're riding to holiness. You're riding away from sin. You're riding away from temptation. You're riding towards that day when when you see Jesus level these things that we struggle with every single day. So I'm calling you to ride with me. And that way, when we look at this blueprint, church, when we see the blueprint of God's Word, some things are unclear. But one thing is absolutely made perfectly clear is that you must through the cross of Jesus Christ you must repent you must turn from your wicked ways you must trust him and then the free gift of white clothing and a white steed upon which you'll ride with Jesus will be provided for you would you stand with me fathers we begin to worship God, we thank You for what Your Word is able to do. 
which is something that our word is not able to do. God, we can't, we can't even tame these tongues. But in your word is power. In your word is life. And your word has told us today that when we repent, when we trust in you, that you give us eternal life, the free gift of grace that we could never, ever earn. Thank you for this free gift to be able to ride with you. In Jesus' name, and all we say together, amen.